Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Just 20 seconds, and the room gets awkward. (laughs) Just for 20 seconds. Remind me, I'll talk to you about that at the end. Are you you all right? All right, good, good. Um, We're going to be... Luke 13 is where we're going to start today. Well, it's where we're going to go. We're going to wind up in Romans chapter 1, spent some time in Romans 1 and Romans 10. Um, Which days are the strongest? Saturday and Sunday. The rest are weekdays. How about this one? Where do pirates get their hooks? Obviously, second-hand stores. You ever gotten nudes that was so huge that it had ramifications on your entire life? I'll never forget the day in 1992 where uh, my wife woke up and she went in the bathroom and I was outside the door waiting and she invited me in and she pulled out that little strip and I looked down and I saw two lines on it. My whole world changed. You don't know what, of course it was a pregnancy test and she was pregnant and from that moment on, broke had a new meaning, (laughs) tired had a new meaning. Y'all know what I'm talking about? One little moment had ramifications on my world for the rest of my life. One moment changed everything. Uh, There are some things that when you embrace the facts of the moment, They change everything, and there are ramifications that changes everything. Last week, we we looked last week at um, the the testimony of the uh, closest companions to Jesus, Matthew, Mark, or uh, um, sorry, uh, Peter, James, and John. We looked at their testimony that the statement was, Jesus is the only way to be saved. And that simple statement that Jesus is the only way to be saved, if we follow the ramifications of it, it changes everything. And that's what I want to do today, is I want to follow the ramifications of that simple statement that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And I want us to feel, um, I want us to feel it, not just hear it. So um, with that being said, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word? We're going to recap last week. And we're going to read Acts 4.12. It's on the screen. Uh, They're put Acts 4.12 up. Would you mind reading this with me? All right, you ready? Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, notice it does not say by which we sort of ought to maybe kind of should be saved. Or only if all the conditions are right be saved. It says we what? must. I don't know about you, but that's some pretty imperative word right there, right? Must means it's something you've got to do, right? All right. So the testimony of Peter on this day was that there's no other name under heaven by which men or humanity, men, women, children, all must be saved. 
All right, there's another one. These are the words of Jesus. John chapter 3, 16. You've probably heard this before, so I'm going to ask you to read along with me as we do this. Y'all ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's verse 16. You ready for verse 17? You ready? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's verse 17, and we've heard that one, but verse 18 makes a real point. Y'all ready? Let's do it together. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now, the ramifications of that are quite powerful. But let's think about what he says. If you have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, Jesus, if you have not believed in the name of Jesus, you are standing condemned already. Did y'all get that? You're condemned already simply by not believing in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, I pray that today you would give me the uh, power and anointing and authority to speak in a way that we would be able to hear and perceive and learn. And I pray, Father, that ears would be open and hearts would be open to hear what you would say so that together we would become the people you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, before you're seated, you need to turn to somebody close to you. Give them a big smile. Tell them, hey, you're sitting next to somebody good looking or I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> hey, if you're online, here's a big smile for you. Welcome to Harvest Ridge today. All right. So we need to embrace the simple fact of the two passages we just read. How many ways are there to be saved? One, Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way to get to God, the only way to salvation, the only way to eternal life. And all who do not believe in him alone stand condemned already. There are over 7 billion people in the world. Half of them have never once heard the name of Jesus. Maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but that tears my heart apart. Years ago, uh, I traveled to a place called Lhasa, Tibet. And in Tibet, I woke up every morning and I would go to the roof of the Yak Hotel. And the Yak Hotel in Lhasa, Tibet, Lhasa is beautiful in a weird way. It's not really beautiful, but it is. I mean, it's right at tree line. So uh, there are a few shrubs growing. There are a few trees in town. But as you look at the mountains on the outskirts of town, all around, they're just mountains that are barren because they're above the tree line. Lhasa is 12,000 feet. Tree line is right at 12,000 feet. So the hills are barren around. And as I would stand every morning, I would get up early and I would go up to the roof of the Yak Hotel to do uh, my morning devotions, have a cup of coffee, and watch the city come to life. A city of 500,000 people, not a single church in the city. Not one. Maybe some underground churches, but not a church that's open to the public in the entire city. Not one. 
500,000 people. And every morning, I would watch the city come to life. I would watch it spring to life. I would drink my coffee. And I, I even remember reading a passage of Scripture. I marked it in a Bible. That from the ends of the earth, I will call out to you, God. Come on, you can't get more ends of the earth than lots of Tibet. It's a flat city in the middle of these mountains. And the sun would rise over the, begin to rise over the, the mountains and I would stand and weep over the people who never once had heard the name of Jesus. They could not believe in the name of Jesus because they had never heard it. Now we got some governmental issues, we've got societal issues, we've got spiritual issues, real spiritual issues, all keeping this city from hearing the gospel. That gives me tension because that means 500,000 people in that town will never inherit eternal life, even little boys and girls who grow up never having heard. It brings me tension. Now, I have, uh, over the last several weeks, knowing what I was going to preach today, I've talked to a lot of Christians. And, and I have a, a common occurrence when I talk to Christians about the truth that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And there is a common response. Eventually, the people I'm talking to, even great Christians, will make excuses that are not biblical for why those people are not lost. And I hear it all the time. They're making excuses or they've got a cold heart. One of the two things happen. Either they don't care or they make excuses. And what I want us to do today is I want you to know that this guitar right here, this guitar only plays notes because the strings have tension on them. If there were no string of tension, if there was no tension, it would make no music. And if this string were not in tune with this string, it wouldn't make harmony, it would make noise. So also our Christian faith, we need to embrace the tension of the lostness of those who have never heard while embracing the harmony of God's love for those who have never heard. So God is both loving and merciful and just and holy. And his love and mercy wants all people to be saved. The scripture is very clear. It's very clear. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save all sinners. Uh, I could give you a dozen scriptures. And any theological wrangling you have in your head, and anything you've ever heard from Reformed theologians or Baptists or wherever you heard it, that make an excuse that God doesn't want everyone to be saved, you have to cut major portions out of your Bible to say that. Because God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to have eternal life. God came to this earth and Jesus died in the form of a man to bring an opportunity for every single person on this earth to hear and to know the salvation that comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Some will not hear. And they are condemned already. And if that doesn't disturb you, then maybe you don't take your faith seriously enough. There should be some tension, but your tension needs to be harmonized with the truth of the Scriptures. 
So what I want to do today is I want to embrace these tensions and I want to talk about them. And I want to give you some authoritative voices from the scriptures that tell us how to deal with this tension. Y'all ready for that? The first one is going to be a guy you may have heard of, Jesus. I just thought it'd be first, you know, go to the horse's mouth, right? Not that I'm calling him a horse, but all right. Answer number one, answer from Jesus. And the question is, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? What about those who have never heard? Jesus was asked the same basic question. It's in Luke chapter 13, verse 23, and it says this. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, so notice this. Is salvation, is everybody going to get saved? Is everybody going to go to heaven? Eventually, you know, they'll get a second chance. I've heard Christians say stuff like that. Everybody gets a second chance. Or, oh, Jesus already saved them. Or, all right. I, I, I've heard all kinds of weird things out of Christians to justify away the tension of what I just told you, that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And Jesus said this. He said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, many, I tell you, how many? many? Not some, but many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. So not everybody is going to be saved because many will try to enter and not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand at the outset. So he's using a parallel. He's talking about a guy who owns a house and some people come to his house and they want in like people want into the household of God for eternity. And he says, the owner of the house, using a parable here, gets up, closes the door. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or where you came from. Now, that, that phrase or where you came from caused me some pause. I went to all my commentaries. I couldn't find an adequate answer because that phrase or where you came from happens twice in this passage. And I don't think literally they're talking about where your home is. I think what he's talking about is where are you coming from? You ever ask that question to somebody, they're like talking to you and they're giving you an answer and you're like, look at them. I understand we're having the conversation, but I have no idea where you're coming from. Anybody ever have that conversation? So what Jesus is saying is he says, I, I understand that you're going to want in the kingdom of God, but I don't know you and I don't understand where you're coming from. I don't understand how you in this room could hear of the salvation, the freeing, the forgiving, the mercy causing power of God that's able to give you direction for your life. I don't understand how you can have all the good gifts of God presented to you freely and you just sort of say, well, I'll do my own thing, sort of. I don't know where you're coming from. I'm not that stupid. Sorry. Did I? I said that, didn't I? You know, if God's God, and his way is best, then whether I like it or not, I should probably do it his way. I'm, I'm just saying. I don't know where you're coming from. And, we, and th then they will say, listen to what they'll say. We ate with you and we drank with you. So we hung out, man. We were buddies. We were friends. We were pals. We were bras. We ate with you and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. And by that word, that word streets in the Greek means literally broad roads. Notice that he's drawing a comparison between Jesus hung out on the broad roads trying to get people in, but they didn't want to come in when it comes narrow door time. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. I, I, I don't understand you. I don't know you. I don't, I don't know where you're coming from. 
And then he'll say, away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. So Jesus' answer was, there's a narrow way. And not everyone makes it into the narrow way. Most will say, let me in and make excuses. And then another thing Jesus says is simple knowledge of Jesus is not enough. There were people that knew about them and they were thrown outside into the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Simple knowledge. Well, I went to church. Really? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. There's more to this than that. The ones on the outside preferred doing evil to submitting to Jesus. And, and obviously, those who are outside in the last days when they meet God face to face, when the world is over, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not a fun place. It's not fun. The condemned will not be on a highway to hell having a party because all my friends are going there. It ain't going to happen that way. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so that's what Jesus says, is everybody going to be saved? But then Jesus also gives instructions to those of us that are saved. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Now, I rewrote this. I, I rewrote it, so this is the Crow's Nearly Inspired Version because um, I didn't want to transfer to a, a different version that... Yeah, yeah, anyway, there are versions that translate this correctly, but I just fixed one word for you. Instead of go, make disciples, I made it going. Because that's actually what the Greek says. It says going, while you are going. Uh, the imperative verb here is not to go. So you don't have to go to Lhasa, Tibet, to fulfill the Great Commission. You need to go to the grocery store. You need to go to school. You need to go to work. You need to go to your kid's soccer match. You need to go about your life. So while you are going about your life, here's your imperative verb, make disciples. While you are going, what do you do? Make disciples. That's your job. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what I love? I love this. I love it when our life group leaders say, you know what, we want to do a baptism at our life group in our pool. Can we do that? And I'm like, sure. Do you want to show them baptized? Heck no. You're the pastor of that group. Go for it. Have fun. Do do you get what I'm saying there? can Can I stop here real quick? Can I just tell you something? A lot of you think the pastor's job is to promote the gospel. We just, we're going to read this right now, okay? It ain't my job. It's our job. It ain't my job. I release you. Right now, I release you. You can fulfill the Great Commission. And while you're going, you can teach the gospel, you can make disciples, you can baptize. Everything I do, you can do better. It's about time that it quit being one guy's job who's overworked and it be all of our job so that we can carry the load together and actually do something about it. So while you're going, do these things, teaching them to obey everything I am commanded you and I'm with you to the end of the age. So first of all, There you go. Jesus said, not everybody gets in. And secondly of all, he says, you are responsible. You are responsible. All right, second of all, we get an answer from the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. 
As a missionary of the Gentiles, there was some question about what he was preaching and teaching, so he decided to write a letter to the Romans, the church at Rome, and he writes this letter to the church at Rome to explain his gospel and, and basically what he means when he says this stuff, and, and he explains it all. It's a, it's, a, it's a seminal work to help, him, help us understand what his message was. And he starts in Romans 1.16 by saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Notice that again. Are y'all noticing a common theme? I could show you over and over and over again in the Bible. How many people does God want to get saved? Everyone. Everyone. This is not not a, a one person or a narrow group or you just because you live in America. This is everyone who believes. So salvation is available to everyone who does what? Believes. Believes. Yeah. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So this is for everybody. It doesn't matter what your race, your racial background is. By the way, the throne, come on, I think it's about time the church started getting along with each other because do you realize for eternity, every people from every tribe, race, nationality, background, and tongue are going to worship around the throne of Jesus together for all eternity? There's going to be differences of races in heaven. You might as well get used to it and get along with each other here because we're going to have to do it for all eternity. I would that the church would look like heaven a little bit more. Enough on that. All right. I'll save them for another day. All right. Romans 10, 9 tells us what you need to do to believe. It says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So this is what you need to do. You need to believe in your heart, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and you need to confess him with your mouth as your Lord. So that's his gospel. You've got to believe. You've got to confess. And how can, well, we'll come back to how can later. All right. So what Paul does is Paul then gives us three, he says we're all on equal footing. He says, first of all, we're all sinners. How many of us are sinners? All of us. Once again, this is an all thing, all right? Romans 3, says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? Come on, one more time. All. Notice there is a universality to all of this. Every, God wants everyone to be saved, but everybody's in the same boat. We're all sinners. God wants all to be saved. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And notice this, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by being good. No. That's not what it says? You mean you can't be good enough to get into heaven? You may be a good person compared to me, but how good are you compared to Jesus? Well, if you're not good compared to Jesus, you're not good enough. So we're justified freely by the grace that he gives us, not by our good works. And that puts us all, by the way, on equal footing again. So then what he says, Paul says that we're all without excuse. He gives us three witnesses to say every person that's ever lived on the face of this earth is without excuse before God because we all have these three witnesses to God. The first one is commands. The commands of, of Scripture, the commands of God. All right, so y'all know the Ten Commandments, right? Y'all have heard of them, right? Ten Commandments. What's one of them? What's one of the most famous ones? Come on. Honor your father and mother. Yeah. No matter where you go in the world, moms and dads want their kids to honor them, correct? 
Oh, they don't even have to have the Ten Commandments to want their kids to pay attention to them. Right? All right. What's another one? Thou shalt not commit adultery. By the way, everywhere you go in the world, I tell you what, you may, if you're the adulterer, you may want to give excuses why you can commit adultery. But if you're the loved one that gets left by adultery, there's nowhere in the world that anybody's saying, that feels good and I want that. Y'all with me? That command, you may not even have that thou shalt not commit adultery, but you get two people who love each other intently and one of them cheats. I don't care where you are in the world, that's going to hurt. They want to rule against it, right? What's another one? Don't murder. Yeah, there are places that cultures in the past, I hear heathens argue this. I, I hear atheists argue, well, there are some cultures where murder is, you know, killing people is, is viewed as a good thing. Yeah, unless you're the one being killed. Did y'all follow that logic? Nobody says, hey, I think murder's a good idea. I volunteer. <laughs> right? Or thou shalt not steal. Everybody, everybody in the world, everybody in the world, even if you excuse stealing as a way just to get ahead, and your culture says stealing's okay, everybody's all right with stealing until they steal your prized possessions. So do you notice that there are certain commands, no matter where you go in the world, that are those ten commands that are available to all people, all places, all times, all cultures? Well, Paul pulls that out. He says, Romans chapter 2, verse 11. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law, so all those that don't have the Ten Commands apart from the law, will perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. And then he says, so before we get to the, the, the rest, he says this. In, uh, in Leviticus, there's a passage that says, If anyone sins and does what is forbidden, and if any of the Lord's commands, even though they don't know it, they're guilty and will be held responsible. Even if you don't know it, you're held responsible. Now, one of my kids, one of my kids was leaving the school in North Ridgeville one day. And where the driveway was at that time, there were, there were the uh, lights that said what the school zone was and what the speed limit for the school zone was, a half mile this way and a half mile this way, or quarter mile, quarter mile, whatever it was, quarter mile, quarter mile. And they pulled out of the parking lot and couldn't see the flashing lights because the flashing lights were for people coming this way, not going this way. Are y'all following me here? So they pulled out, and I guess they get a lead foot from their mom. <laughs> anyway, pull out, and they're driving really fast, and they get to like 32 mile an hour, and a police officer comes up behind them, stops them, and gives them a ticket. And we go to court, because they were below the age of 18, they had to go to court. <laughs> By the way, all my kids have been in court at some point or another. <laughs> Don't ever call them pastor's kids. They're just kids. <laughs> you call any of our kids, of our ministers around our pastor's kids, you better duck while you're doing it. I'll punch you in the nose. <laughs> They're kids. I don't come to your house and say, well, you're electrician's kids. Why isn't the light off? <laughs> Quit being a jerk to our kids. Do you hear me? Stop being a jerk to our kids. So anyway, my, in court... <laughs> The judge says, you know, the argument was, well, I didn't see the signs. I, I didn't see the flashing lights were on. How can I be responsible? I didn't see them. The judge said, you know what the judge says? You're responsible for the rules of the road, whether you observe them or not. 
you got six months probation and you can't drive anywhere without blah, blah, blah. You know? Y'all know what I'm saying? Do you know you're responsible for the rules of the road even if you don't know them? You, you do know that, right? Oh, wow. And do you know what God says right here? You're responsible for his commands whether you know them or not. Because, here's why though, he's written them on your hearts. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 2 verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, are they not a law for themselves even though they don't have a law? In other words, he's saying the law is written in your heart. So the commands of God and the fact that you want justice from other people about the commands you don't want broken is proof, a universal proof that God has written his commands in your heart. Second one is conscience. Conscience. You know everybody's born with a conscience, right? And when you sin and when you break those commands, you know your conscience tells you, I'm a bad person, I shouldn't have done that. You do realize that, right? Yes, some conscience is put in us by our training as childhood, but some of it is innate in us by birth. Because God made you to be a person that knows when you do wrong and your conscience speaks to you. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 2 verse 15, he says, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their consciences are bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them. Anybody ever have that happen? Your conscience accuse you? And anybody ever have the second part, your conscience defending you? I didn't do that wrong. They did. I didn't. Anybody ever have those? Conscience, by the way, is written on your heart. We all have this guilt, shame in us, right, from our conscience. Uh, another one of my children, and I asked permission to tell this story. Uh, I won't mention any names, but another one of my children was being potty trained. You know potty train? When you get to the point that you go poo-poo in the potty and you wear pull-ups just in case there's an accident. Well, it was one of those pull-up days and they were taking their nap. And they were in their room asleep, taking their nap. And apparently they woke up before it was time to get up. And they didn't go to the bathroom to go poo-poo, didn't call for mom and dad. They decided to go in their little pull-ups. And then once they went in their pull-ups, they're like, oh no, I shouldn't have done that. So they decided to take their pull-up off, filled with the poo-poo, and to shove it under the bed. The problem is, though, it was a big one. <laughs> it was a little messy. And it got on their hands. And then where, where it got on their hands, it was not only on the bed, it was on the floor, and it was on the, the sheets, and it was on the comforter, and it was on the clothes they took off. And then they went to the bathroom to do the paperwork, but when they went in the bathroom, uh, it got more spread, and it was now on the toilet, it was on the floor, it was on the walls, it was on the clothes they put back on, and they lay back in bed, and I come into the room, and I'm like... <laughs> Are, are y'all following me? I got, what, a, a little 18-month-old, two-year-old, something like that, two-year-old, laying there, looking at me all innocent, like... All the while, they know they've been guilty and they've tried to cover it up. And what happens is, is when we do not confess our sins, we don't deal with our sins, all we do is make a bigger mess for everybody to clean up. We spread that poop everywhere. So God thankfully devised a way to deal with our consciences and our shames by giving us forgiveness through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, listen, I don't understand why you wouldn't want this. It says in the Bible that this, this gospel, this belief in Jesus, cleanses your consciences from acts that lead to death. He wants to clean your conscience. He wants to take away your shame. 
Your shame, your guilt. All right. And then last of all, creation. No matter where you go in the world, creation is there with you. I was a young kid. I was about eight or nine years old, and we went to a place called Wister Lake. Now, Wister Lake uh, is where they dammed up the Poto River in southeastern Oklahoma. And if you go to nowhere and you hang a right and you go about 20 miles down a dirt road, that's where Wister Lake is. There are no lights at Wister Lake. There are no street lights. There's no ambient light. There's nothing. And I was there with a group of my cousins. And it was a clear Oklahoma night. And we were out fishing during the day. And we were laying on the park benches that night. We'd pulled a bunch of park benches around me and my cousins. And we were all laying around watching the stars. There was a meteor shower that night. And we were watching them going, ooh, ooh. It was like amazing. Just an amazing moment watching those meteor showers. But while I'm laying there, about eight or nine, I look up and I think to myself, see that star? I wonder what's on the other side of that star. Anybody ever ask that question? There's that star out here. I'm here. There's the star. What's on the other side of that star? And you know what? When you get to the other side of that star, what's on the other side of that? And when you get to what's on the other side of that, what's on the other side of that? And remember, I'm eight or nine years old asking, and then what's on the other side of that? And, and because we live in only like a four or five dimensional universe, we know that we are limited to time and space and height and width and breadth, and we are limited to those things. So all matter, all time, all space, this universe has an end somewhere. And I came to grips with the fact that there's an end of the universe, and when you get to the end of the universe, somewhere there is an end. What's on the other side? of that what's so and that's where God is because God doesn't live in my dimension or your dimension or matter or time and space but his dimensions are beyond our dimensions so God is spirit God is not height width and depth he is out there and as an eight or nine year old child laying on a park bench watching a meteor shower for the first time in my life I experienced the awe of God Romans 1.19 says, says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal, listen to that, his unending, without limit power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are what? Come on, people are what? Come on, everybody say this with me. Bring your head and your feet back to the same place so that all people are without excuse. Come on, bring it all together with me. What does it say when we, we know the witness of creation? Everybody participate. This is an all skate now. Hold your partner's hand if you need to. Let's do this. Careful about interlocking fingers. Make sure you're dating. Are right, you ready? You ready? Let's do this. So that all people are So the witness of creation is available to all people, revealing God's nature and his power so that all people are without excuse. One final thing. Paul doesn't just speak, though, to those out there that have a witness so that they're without excuse. He speaks to us as believers. In Romans 10, 12, and this is going to be an all-skate, too. I need you all to to help me here, all right? You ready? There's no difference between the Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses 
Come on, come on, notice this again. All who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many? Everyone. So God's will is very clear here. Now notice this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Everybody say with me, they can't. Come on, let's say it again. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? They can't. And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? They can't. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? They can't. And how can they preach unless they're sent? They can't. I hope you're getting this. There's a responsibility we have. There is a witness of creation that every person gets, but then there's a moment where that person needs to hear the gospel message from someone sent to proclaim it to them. I'm going to tell you three stories. We're going to end. I'm going to wrap this up. Y'all ready? The first story is of a a Buddhist monk who was in a temple in, in Asia. And the Buddhist monk is there bowing before Buddha, and he's praying, Oh, Buddha, reveal yourself to me. Show your great power. Who are you? What is the meaning of life? And he hears a voice in his head says, Go find Jesus. So he gets up and he goes to the head of the monastery. And he says to the head of the monastery, I was praying before Buddha and Buddha said, go find Jesus. Spoke to me, said, go find Jesus. The head of the monastery says, who's Jesus? The monk says, I don't know. The head of the monastery says, well, if Buddha told you to do it, you better do it. Take some of the guys and go. So a half dozen monks leave the temple up in the mountains, come down the hill, and as they're coming down the hill, they arrive in a town down in the flatlands. In that town in the flatlands, the Jesus film just happened to be there that night, and they had printed up handbills and were stapling them to all the posts of all the roads coming into town. You want to know what it said on the handbills? Looking for Jesus? Coincidence, right? Yeah, sure. The monks said, yes, we are looking for Jesus. They go to the place. They watch the Jesus film. They hear about his death, burial, and resurrection. They confess him as Lord, and they go back up to the monastery. The monastery basically empties out because all of the people up there get saved, and all the monks get saved because they're longing to know the God of all creation, and their conscience calling to them led them to a place, and they were met by a Christian witness. All right? I, I forget the girl's name. I've got it in my office, but she was in Tehran, Iran. She was a Muslim girl. And every night she would open up her window and pray towards Mecca. And as she would pray, she would pray. At the end of her prayer, she would say, Allah, who are you? Show me who you are. I want to love you. I want to serve you. And one night when she was praying that, she heard, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. She's like, that's weird. So the next night, she opens up her window and she prays. And at the end of her prayer, she prays the prayer again. Allah, who are you? I'd like to honor you. Reveal yourself to me. And she hears, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Three nights in a row, fourth night, finally she decides, I've got to find out who said that. So she goes on a look and she runs into a campus ministry on the school she's at and she finds out that Jesus said it, gives her heart to Jesus, gets saved, gets baptized at the expense of her family relationships. 
meets a young man in the campus ministry, and at the campus ministry, the two of them get saved, get married, and on the night of their marriage, the Islamic police break in, take them off to prison, and they never get a chance to consummate their marriage. Because following Jesus may cost you. But it's better to have a little bit of cost now and a lot of reward here than a little bit of reward here and a lot of cost here. Y'all following me? All right. The third story is a guy named Jasper Toe. Jasper Toe was in a village in Ethiopia. He was the chief of the little village. And um, <clears throat> one day as he was outside meditating, he looked up at the sky and he said, Oh, great creator, reveal yourself to me. Who are you? And in that moment, he had a vision. And the vision was of a box floating on the water with smoke coming out of the top. And there was another little box with some people in it rowing to shore, coming to shore. And uh, the vision, when he had the vision, he heard the voice that said, The people in the little box will tell you about me. About that same time, going up the coast of Africa, there was a missionary couple from the Assemblies of God who had put, by the way, in those days, they didn't put their stuff in suitcases. They put all of their worldly possessions in coffins so that when they went to the field, they expected to die there and they expected to die for the cause of Christ. Remember, little cost now, a lot of reward. Little reward now, a lot of cost. So these missionaries heading up the coast and uh, the, the missionary's leaning over the rail and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, get off here. So he goes to the captain of the vessel and he says, Captain, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. I'm supposed to get off and go ashore here. And the captain says, I can't let you do that. And he said, well, why not? He said, because this is cannibal country and you will be eaten before the day is up. He said, the, the missionary said, I don't think you understand. God called me to get off the boat here. We're getting off. So they got off the boat, they're rowing to shore. And as they rowed ashore, it just so happened that same day, Jasper Toe had arrived, just so happened. And Jasper Toe, standing on the shore, waving, smiling, jumping up and down, you know, wearing nothing but a smile. And uh, these missionaries, they come to shore and they see this guy and they're like, oh no, we're dinner tonight. And they come to shore and Jasper Toe embraced them and he took them four days' journey back to, back to their village and there they learned the language and there the missionaries began to share with Jasper Toe the good news of Jesus. And Jasper Toe not only gave his heart to Christ, but he led the village in a revival. He began to pastor a church. He went on through education and became the first general superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Ethiopia. And his picture now hangs in our general headquarters in Springfield, Missouri. His picture hangs on a wall as a reminder that God's witness is available to all people, but we got to go. You notice there are some similarities to every one of these stories. They called out, but somebody was there to share. And somebody was there to share because somebody back here sent them there. Are you following me? And I, I just want to talk to you for a second. If you're here this morning and you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, it is a good day to believe in Jesus and be saved. He is the only way. It is a good day. 
And I want to invite you right now, if you'd bow your heads with me and close your eyes around this place, I want to invite you. If you have never made Jesus your Lord, today it's a good day to make him your Lord, to call him your Savior, to be relieved of your shame and your guilt and your sins, and to know that you have an eternity with him. If you would like to receive that salvation today, lift your hand really high. I want to pray with you. Just lift your hand really high around this room. I want to pray with you. Just lift your hand up. Yes. Are there others? Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. Everybody, let's do this together. Everybody out loud. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. You died on the cross. You were buried in a grave. You were resurrected on the third day. Be my Lord. Redeem my life. And give me your purpose. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, listen. Jesus took you at your word. And you know what that means? You know what that means? That means you're his child now. That means for the rest of your life, you are his child. He's going to make you really, really bad at sinning. And that's not the last talk you're going to have with him. It's the first of many. I embrace, encourage you to embrace that. Now, can I talk to everybody now? Since we dealt with this, and you should all be believers, because I don't understand where you come from if you're not. I want to invite you to do something. I want you to, first of all, embrace the tension. Don't make excuses. Quit making excuses that three and a half billion people have never heard and are apart from the salvation of God. Quit making excuses to make you feel better and embrace the tension. Secondly of all, I want to invite you to fast and pray with me. 1986 at Central Bible College. A missionary came by and he said, I want to challenge you to fast and pray with me once a week for the lost of the world. So every Monday since then, I have fasted and prayed for the lost of the world. Mondays, that's the purpose. I want to encourage you to fast with me. Do without a meal. Do without pop all day. Do without coffee. I don't care what you do without. Do without something. And every time you want it, you pray, Jesus, save the people of Tibet. Rebuke the powers of darkness to keep the people in darkness around this world. Free up government systems. Fast and pray with me. And then I want you to share everywhere you go. You're now responsible. You are commissioned. You are sent. Go in the power of Jesus. And last of all, one final thing, give with me. On everybody's tithing envelope, there's line number two. It says missions. By the way, when a dollar comes into Harvest Ridge for missions, and naturally I take 50%, right? No? 10%, no? Harvest Ridge doesn't take any of it. What do we do with all of it? We give it all away to missions, to missionaries. We're trying to make it so they all go to missionaries on the ground missionaries where they're at. Why, why do we say that? So that you can be a part of the answer without being a part. Come on, when somebody says to you, there are people who've never heard. You say, well, I'm doing my part. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm talking. And I'm giving. What are you doing? Come on, join me. Let's be a part of the answer rather than a part of the problem. All right? With that, 
got one more thing to say, and then I'm going to let Pastor Garrett lead us in a song and end us. You ready? Do you notice that 20 seconds that I stood off to the side here at the beginning of the service, how awkward it was? Because you were waiting for somebody to deliver a message. Could you imagine being a person, say in Tibet, saying, great God, who are you? Whoever you are, reveal yourself to me. And the person that's supposed to go tell them can't go because you won't put five bucks in a missions offering. Come on. Let's fix this. We're not responsible for out there. I'm responsible for here. Let's do it. What do you say? Would you stand with us and let's sing this final song together?